0: listeners. It is Pastor Norman Hurlow here and with me for our conversation today I have Cara Kingston.
1: Hello, glad to be here.
0: Glad that you're here as well Kara. Tell you. us a little bit about you, where are you from and what do you do?
1: <laughs> well at the moment still living in Kurumbong somehow Still finding myself here, but loving it. Uh, I'm currently studying a grad dip in ministry and theology, and I am working here at Avondale College Church as the church secretary. Best job ever.
0: Awesome. I agree. This is a great place to be working. So we're going to be talking about lesson number five in quarter three, which is getting ready for October thirty, Sabbath, October thirty. And the title of the lesson is The Stranger in Your Gates. Um, Some really awesome content we're going to be looking at and discussing. Before we do, I wonder, Cara, will you pray for us?
1: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, for this opportunity to dig into your word, um, to discuss and to reflect. I pray, Lord, that as we... Uh, expand on on what we have here, that you will lead us, that you will guide us, inspire our thoughts, um, open our minds and our heart to you to realise new things and may you continue to lead us and our church to be more and more like you. In your name, amen. Amen.
0: So in our lesson, we've been going through Deuteronomy where at the end of his time with the nation of Israel, Moses is going over the law, going over the covenant, going over... Guess what God had revealed to the nation of Israel? And he's saying, hey, let's renew ourselves to God. Let's renew ourselves to the covenant. And here's what it looks like. Here's what it means. Here's how we live that out. And it's in this context that we're going to read the next few verses, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we're going to go from verse 12 to 22. And it's the call for love and obedience. Do you Mm. want to start us off?
1: Sure thing. So from verse 12, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him, and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love, and he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed.
0: He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship Him and cling to Him. Your oaths must be in His name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles, That you have seen with your own eyes. Then your ancestors went down into Egypt where there were only 70 of them, but now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, beautiful, beautiful picture of what God has done Mm -hmm. and what He has called and how He has chosen Israel and then what He asked them to live out. And right at the end there, he echoes the promise he made or reminds him of the promise that he made to Abraham: I will make your descendants as Mm -hmm. many as the stars in the sky. And he says, look how God has been faithful and good. He has fulfilled his promises to you and to your ancestors. Now, walk with him, walk in his ways.
1: I love that because it's... It's not only a reminder of their heritage, but it's like a, an example of he has already been so faithful. You're already, in a sense, an answer to a promise. Mm-hmm. So as they're about to step into a new promise, um, that would be just the continuation of that faithful relationship.
0: That is an awesome, an awesome thought. And so I guess the question is, you know, we're about to step into... And new reality in society. A mm. lot of us are coming out of lockdown. Mm. From, we're about to step into a new year soon. Maybe this is a, a great place for us to stop and reflect. Think what God has done, the promises he has fulfilled, the faithfulness that he has demonstrated. Mm. And what is he going to do as we step into the new? Yeah. So the memory verse for Sabbath comes from Deuteronomy 10, verse 19. where It says, Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Um, Sabbath's lesson introduces us to an interaction that Jesus had with the scribe. And they take us to the book of Mark and look at what Jesus said there, because Jesus quotes from the section of Deuteronomy. And he, interesting fact, Deuteronomy is the second most quoted book by Jesus. No way. First is the book of Psalms, and then Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And so, as we as we've been journeying through it, I love that idea that Jesus you know, took a lot of what his teachings and sayings from here—the summary of his the relationship with God and his people. Do you want to just read us that interaction, and then we'll touch on some of the things that come out of that? That's in Mark chapter twelve. Verse 28
1: to 31. Sure. Okay. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these.
0: So Jesus, like any good Jew, touches on the Shema, which we looked at last week and is reiterated here in Deuteronomy, early on in Deuteronomy and in these verses. And all of the Jews listening would know, yes, Jesus has answered correctly. This is the greatest commandment. But then Jesus adds something else which they weren't necessarily expecting. Mm. And that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says this. He combines it into one command. He said, this is the greatest command. The other place that Jesus mentions that in Matthew, he actually says this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things mm-hmm. love the lord your god and love your neighbor as you love yourself what does that mean to you when you hear that That, and what does jesus mean when he says the law and the prophets
1: mm. uh, when i hear the law and the prophets i'm i'm thinking of the entire old testament basically it's You know, filled with the law that the Jews followed, but it also has all the writings of the prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, all of them.
0: Okay, so Jesus is saying the whole of scripture hangs on these two things. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What does he mean by that?
1: I think it means that those things that he's referring to are completely dependent on that principle, that reality of love um i also um loved seeing when i was when i was reading that passage from mark how he was when he was referring to love your neighbor as yourself he was saying this is equally important which i think is a bit of a mind-blowing um statement because i think it's very easy to be like okay loving god is super important and then yeah there's this side thing but jesus was putting them side by side to say they are equal equally important
0: Okay, you've touched on a few things there. One, the principle that is guiding and operating everything, all of Scripture and everything that God teaches mm. is love. Love for God love for others. Yeah, And bringing those two together, often we might be tempted to think, hey, what's so important or most important is our love and devotion to God. Mm. Whereas Jesus is like, yeah, that, that matters. That's important but how you relate to other people as well is as important. It says, on these things, mm. all of Scripture, they're the principle or the foundation of all of Scripture. Yeah. Love for God, love for others.
1: It's almost as if um, your love for God um, is shown through how you love others. It's, it's like the, the evidence of a love that already exists. Um and you cannot separate it. You can't love God and not love people. And I think Jesus talks about that uh, in John or, you know, somewhere in the New Testament. Uh, yeah, it talks about this same principle, which is you cannot say that you um, love God if you don't love your fellow man.
0: Yeah, John writes that to the churches in one of his letters. Mm. He says, you can't say that you have love for God and not love the people around you. Yeah. Um, so one of the interesting things, and this is what the lesson brings out, is that Jesus here is simply quoting to and quoting the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow it seemed a crazy new idea to those that were listening. And even when we read back into Scripture, we often think, hey, Jesus was highlighting some new things or revealing some new things about God. But ultimately what Jesus is doing is saying, no, this is the premise and the principle in which God – that God – has operated with humanity all along. Mm-hmm. This is the foundation of God's relationship and engagement with us. It is love. God is love, and so it's awesome that that's affirmed here in the Book of Deuteronomy. And Jesus reiterates it again.
1: Yeah, I've always, I've always loved that because I, I have such a, such a deep love for. Um, you know, the Bible and everything it has to offer. But I know that there's often been this tension where we we feel so much relatability to the New Testament to Jesus. And sometimes it's so easy to either overlook or kind of maybe push aside some things that we read in the Old Testament because they can be tough or they can be challenging to to comprehend. But I I love how Jesus is always pointing back that the entirety of scripture is beautiful and is consistent with the message it provides. That is very very
0: reassuring. Okay, let's jump over to Sunday. Sunday talks about the heading is the circumcision of your hearts. Um, Deuteronomy 9 and 10. Mm -hmm. God kind of reintroduces some of the covenant promises and principles that he gave to the nation of Israel. And with those came the sign, this act that demonstrated the people's commitment, that demonstrated the people's agreement
2: mm-hmm. yep.
0: and kind of confirmed the covenant. Now, I want us to maybe break that down because some of our listeners, what is a covenant? What does that mean? And what is this whole idea of circumcision of the heart? What is? What do you understand when you hear
1: that? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd love to ask you that. With what it, what is your definition of covenant?
0: So, a covenant was an agreement or an understanding between two people. Mm-hmm. Um, the ancients often used covenants, whether it was for land property agreements, whether it was between different kings, different whatever it was you were wanting to create a contract, if you will, um, they would call it a covenant. But the way a covenant worked was. If you're in a covenant relationship you had significant buying investment and in ownership and often it symbolized your personal life or you know often they'd say hey give me a pound of flesh mm-hmm. that idea comes from this principle of covenant where you actually had some of yourself invested in that engagement in right, that, okay, in that okay. relationship okay. and so often what was associated with the covenant was some kind of sacrifice, some kind of um, demonstration that you were committed to this and it was going to cost you something. Mm-hmm. And so you would give, um, there would be a sacrifice that would confirm the covenant, but then there'd often be promises that came with that, but also curses if you did not fulfill your side of the covenant yeah, or your side of the agreement. But what is unique and interesting is that God makes this covenant, and it started with Abraham. All throughout the Bible, there's these interactions He has with humanity where He initiates this covenant, but then with Abraham, He provides the sacrifice, and He provides, He puts Himself on the line Mm
2: -hmm. with
0: very little or no expectation from us. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've I've um, only recently come to appreciate that that story of Abraham and Isaac, like taking Isaac up to to offer him as a sacrifice and trusting in God, even though that request made no sense. Um, my mom, such a woman of wisdom, just blew my mind one day when she uh, shared her insight which is you know we often talk about that being a symbolism of what Jesus was willing to do for us because Jesus is the son who you know sacrificed himself in our place but the thing that I never really noticed is that in that particular story instead of the sacrifice being provided like being a lamb it was actually a ram which is like the father symbol of a sheep and so, in that instance, um, the thing that really blew me away is that realization that that is where God is showing His heart, because the Father had to sacrifice something too; He had to lose His Son. Wow. Um, and and I love that because I've never really thought of it that way before.
0: That is a I hadn't thought of that either. Mm. I didn't realize that, and I love that love that picture because often yeah we tend to think, well, wow, it was Jesus who made the sacrifice, but it's going. That's the Father's heart as well. Mm. He is for us and he has given everything for us. That's really
1: cool. Yeah. Hence, you know, John 3.16, which is like, yes, we know we're loved by Jesus, but it's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Um, So I think there's a reflection of God's heart that, um, as you said, that pound of flesh that's given, that's God the Father giving his son.
2: Mm.
0: Speaking of the flesh, so then it comes to what Israel was asked to do was as a sign, as a symbol of your engagement and investment in this covenant, they had this practice of circumcision, Mm. which was going to be a definer between the general populace and the general people in the world and Mm. those that are the followers of God, the people that are the followers of God. Um, So... We understand what circumcision is. We're not going to break that down too much. <laughs> but this whole notion, what, is G, what does God say here? And what is the lesson trying to get us to lean into when it says, Circumcise your hearts. Mm. So in this whole covenant relation, we understand it's an agreement and engagement. And God has given all and we participate in that. The circumcise your hearts, what is God asking for
1: in that? I've often loved this symbolism uh, from this passage. And I think the thing that can be so surprising is I used to associate this phrase with some of Paul's teachings when he's addressing circumcision. And he talks about the importance of having your heart circumcised. And I'm like, that's amazing. But to realise that this goes as far back as the law itself as the time of Moses, to realise that from the very beginning this was the point God was trying to get across. Um, I think those physical um, acts of expression, of devotion, of covenant were very important, but the message or the symbolism that they pointed to was so much more important and I think that's the heart of what God was wanting them to understand, that you know this physical act is is an important sign between you and me um, but what i really want to get to is is your heart impacted by this decision
0: your your devotion mm-hmm. your commitment not just in act but in all
1: yeah of you. yeah
0: now and what often tends to happen and this is we see this all throughout the story of israel and think this is so true of us as well that's why we're going to touch on what does this look like for us today but Mm -hmm. where there were these different rituals these acts like circumcision like sacrifice um, which were external rituals or external signs of an internal reality yeah yeah of an internal um, change or shift or posture or attitude and these external rituals Us as humanity, we did a great job in the nation of Israel we even see today. We do a great job of taking these external rituals and making them huge, significant, and building our our worship, our um, focus, our attention around those. And we see that with the nation of Israel. Suddenly it became about sacrifice. And here's here's the, the line of thinking. Okay, if one sacrifice can lead to forgiveness, how many does 10, you know, what is, what is 10 sacrifices? Yeah. What is 100? What is 1,000? Does that mean that I'm even cleaner and purer and more holy before God? Does that mean I'm more acceptable before God the more I give, the more I do? Or, or, or you know, the more I focus on this external act, does that make me better and make me acceptable to God. Mm. And whereas then God comes to the nation of Israel and says, no no no, no. that's that's not how this relationship (laughs) works. That's not the point. It's not about what you can do or this external ritual. It's what that ritual points to, which is the internal commitment, the internal surrender. Yeah. And the sacrifice was ultimately the future sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Mm-hmm. That is what cleanses us from sin. That is what forgives us. It is not this ritual, this act. It was there as a reminder to point us to the greater we are.
1: So true. But how often do these like physical rituals and um, practices lose their meaning um, or that symbolism there because... The sacrifice, as you said, was supposed to point towards something. Like, it, it was this is what it points you towards. This is what saves you. But then because the focus on the sacrifice is the focus, it just spirals back to human effort, the, the saving of self.
0: And what I can control, mm. what I can manage, what I can hurt, or what I can put the effort into.
1: Yeah. Very human.
0: So, is there anything you think in our worship and in our practice today that we sometimes fall into the same trap? Mm, yeah. Of hey, this is a sign of our relational covenant with God. This is a sign of our um, devotion to God, but that sometimes then becomes more about the act or the than
2: the
1: God behind the sun. Uh, the first one that comes to mind really I think is baptism. I think baptism is such a beautiful thing. I love watching baptisms. They just make my heart feel so full because it's someone publicly declaring their love mm-hmm. for Jesus. I love it. Um, but at the same time, there's there's been moments where I've thought about it and realize that sometimes there's so much focus on that that it's almost we judge someone's spiritual journey based on baptism status like it's kind of like a stamp a seal of approval so to speak that oh you're a good christian and i and i wonder if because of that subtle attitude there if then because i've had this experience and i've seen many young people have this experience where once they're baptized if they struggle with anything they they feel like they've failed as a Christian because, yeah. oh, I'm baptized, I should know better, I should have done that better. That was the mark. That, that, was, was, that was meant to be the, yeah, the, the triumph. Point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that is um, probably from a, like losing the original point of what that ritual or practice was supposed to be or what it points you towards.
0: An external sign of the internal reality mm-hmm. that this person is committing and surrendering their life to God. Yeah. So one that comes to my mind and is Sabbath. Like,
1: oh, oh, yeah! I,
0: I love Sabbath. Mm-hmm. It means so much to me and my family. I love what it means to our our faith community, and I think we have a significant contribution to the world with this beautiful um, teaching and symbol of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But I've seen so many times where that becomes and what what you do, what you don't do, how you engage with that, and whether you become so much the focus. And we miss the point that actually this Sabbath points us to the God of Sabbath, the God who brings rest, the God who is rest, the God who is rest in creation, rest in salvation, and rest in eternity, who's inviting us into relational reality, which is what the Sabbath was about. God with man together And we miss the fact that it's a reminder of us to stop trying to do it on our own and rest in the provision that God has given.
1: Yeah. It's often, I think, one of those things where uh, I remember when I was growing up and I was like in mid to late primary school and trying to explain to some of my non-Christian friends why I couldn't come to their house to swim in a pool on Saturday. And I used to be like, oh. can't do this I can't do that because it's sabbath Uh, and it wasn't until I think I started to explore my faith journey for myself when I hit those teen years where I started to realize my focus had been so much on what this conversation of oh I can't do this and I can't do that and I shouldn't do that but when I opened my eyes to that experience of what can I do what, what is there that I'm called to do on this day? It was just liberating, and it was yeah. such a wonderful experience that now I can have such a deep appreciation for Sabbath because I now understand more of what it's supposed to be. Yeah.
0: And so the same call is to us. Circumcise your hearts. Make the main thing the main thing, and that is our commitment to their and devotion to God. Mm. Monday then invites us into this, this charge or this command. Love the stranger. Love the aliens among you. Love those who are maybe marginalized. But it starts that whole premise with introducing the almighty God, the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. This is the God who we serve. He is sovereign over heaven and earth. Um, But because he is sovereign over heaven and earth, he has chosen us. He has chosen the nation of Israel. And chosen us to be the bearers of light to our world and to welcome and love everyone into his family. Mm -hmm. And he gives this call to the nation of Israel and says, love the stranger. Why do you think that was necessary or unique? Um, Was it?
1: I think it would be very unique for the kind of world that they lived in um because a lot of the time you know everyone was very strong with their identity of who who they were who they were related to who their ancestors were what what region they were from that like they had such massive identity in those areas uh and I believe this idea of not just not just being nice but like love is such a deep word and I think we've kind of cheapened it now um at least in in our English language but I, I believe the idea of or like the calling to love the stranger in my mind that triggers me to think of love the person who's not familiar love the person who is misunderstood or marginalized or um love the person who isn't naturally easy to love. It's not like your best friend. It's not your family. You know, it's it's something outside of that. Um, so I think it's a very profound calling.
0: And I think you're so right. It would have been a strange reality for them back then. Everyone was separated into city-states and tribes and groups. And mm. um, this whole us-and-them sense was quite strong. But we still see it today. Yeah. Most people affiliate with others that are similar to them or similar likes are part of their tribe, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's really rare that you find a community that intentionally goes out to connect with and love others that aren't like them, yeah. aren't, don't have similar interests. It's not uncommon to find a whole bunch of people caring for each other that have the same interests.
1: Well, because it's comfortable.
0: But what does it look like to love a
1: stranger? Mm-hmm. Well I have a question on that then and I mean this is more of a rhetorical question so maybe it's just like a moment to pause and reflect on this but if we were to really take this to how it applies to us today I think an important question would be who is the stranger of today in our reality in our spheres of influence who is the marginalized who is that person that God is calling us to love that isn't in our innermost
0: circle. If Jesus wrote this to us today, who would he be inviting us to love?
1: Yeah. Or well, I would even say challenging us to love.
0: Challenging us to love. Mm. Commanding us
1: <laughs> to love. Yep.
0: Now, here's the rationale that Jesus gives, why this matters, why this is important. Um, Tuesday section, he says, For you were strangers in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Remember that you were once an outcast. You were once a foreigner. You were once marginalized. You were once a slave. Mm-hmm. And he invites the nation of Israel to reflect on their reality, their circumstance, their pain from their past. And he says, don't let the pain from your past lead you to then hurt and marginalize others. Mm-hmm. But rather, let that be a reminder of how that felt for you, and now go and care for, love, look after other people. There's a there's a saying that I don't know many of us are probably familiar with that hurt people hurt people. Yeah, it is easy for us to treat others or act towards others or res- respond in hurtful ways when we. Healed people, well, I'm going to put it this way. Chosen people heal people. Mm-hmm. And this is what God is trying to help the nation of Israel understand. I chose you not because there's anything great or awesome about <laughs> you. You, were, you weren't really popular in the world. Okay, It's not like it's you won so a popularity small. contest.
1: Yeah, so small at the time as well.
0: Yeah, you... I chose you because I've got a purpose for you. I've got Mm. a plan for you. And that purpose is to grow and establish God's purpose, God's plan. And so he says, I've taken you from your place of pain and I have purposed you for a meaningful and a grand existence. Mm. But that existence is to live out my love, live out my life. And champion who I am in the world, which means leverage your pain to love, yeah, hurting, and to be an agent of healing, not hurt.
1: I really love that. That's such a good way of looking at it, and I, I believe that that's that in that theme, that motif is just everywhere in the Bible how many times god calls imperfect broken people and he's calling them to i think go beyond themselves to be able to reach people love people heal people be there for people um and i think that's amazing because so often we we tend to think oh these bible characters they were you know all that and a bag of chips um, <laughs> But when you start to actually break down all the like the mighty characters of the Bible, they all have such a broken, messed up reality. They were messed up. Yeah, yeah. And so in the same way, I think God is calling us broken, messed up people to live that culture again.
0: So here's the question for everyone to ponder and mull on. What is your place of pain, And how can you live?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: To heal other people. Wednesday touches on an awesome reality. He says, judge righteously. Be righteous in the way you deal with other people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you hear the word righteous, what does that conjure in your mind? What?
1: This is tricky because up until a year ago, I would have answered very differently to how to answer now. So I might give you a before answer and then maybe an after answer. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Before I started studying um, ministry and theology, I have always associated the word righteous with this idea of holy, pure, just like very, very godly character. Good. A Good person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But once uh, the thing that just really blew me away was when we were studying Greek, who knew I would get something out of Greek class. Love you, Rob. Um, (laughs) So um, the crazy thing was when we were looking at the Greek word for righteousness, it was synonymous with the word justice, which just didn't compute to me in our English language. So it sent my brain down a whole different track when now you say, what does it mean to be righteous and holding that word at the same level as Seeking justice.
0: I love that. And it's not only in the Greek, it's in the Hebrew as well. The word for righteous is synonymous with justice. Mm -hmm. And it starts off there in in Deuteronomy saying, Here, you know, what does God require of you? Now, that verse also we find in Micah, the prophet Micah talking to the nation of Israel saying, What does God require of you to do justice? Mm. which is that same root word, righteousness, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So as you walk humbly with your God, mercifully interact with people. And that leads to justice in the world. And so here we see God saying, you know what? Because I'm loving and I'm kind, I've brought you from your place of pain. I've purposed you to interact with, with all of humanity. But the way you do that matters because that reflects who I am. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be righteous, if you want to live in right relationship with God, Jesus mentions that there, love for God, love for others. If you want to live in right relationship, then it matters how you treat people around you. And that you're actually not just treating the people you come in contact with, but actively seeking for justice in the world. Mm-hmm. For those that are marginalized for the stranger among you for the alien among
1: you yeah I think it the word like justice just adds this whole practical layer to it uh, it makes me think about like for example, if we look at the Good Samaritan story and how there were priests and I think scribes that walked past the the battered man um. What's interesting is like, you know, they were trying hard to be holy, to be clean. Mm. Keep themselves pure. Yeah, keep themselves pure. Maybe, you know, they were even like, oh, I'll just give them an encouraging word, you know. Hey, like, hang in there, but move on.
0: Touching someone that was dying would make them ritually unclean.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I just think that's like such a a great story example of what the difference between trying your best to be holy and clean, but without like without practically living that out, it has no value.
0: Mm. And Jesus creates that tension beautifully because mm. he then takes a Samaritan who...
1: The priest would have hated. By default,
0: the people would be thinking he's unclean, he's unholy. Yeah. And he goes, oh, he actually touched this guy and cared for him and looked after him and then throws the question back at them and says, so who do you say was merciful? Mm. And... Or who do you say is a neighbor to this man? Mm -hmm. And the guy can't even say the word Samaritan. He says, oh, the one who showed mercy. (laughs) And see, it links there with that do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And Mm so Jesus is saying, yeah, what what righteousness looks like tangibly in the world is not just keeping yourself away from or, or pure or untouched, it's actually getting down in the mess and grittiness grittiness of life and with people and caring for connecting with restoring and healing broken people Mm. because that is and Jesus came and lived that out and showed us what that looks like and he as Romans and all the other writers in the New Testament declare lived righteously he showed us what it was like to treat for humanity and grow and develop your relationship with God. Now, one way that this has really made sense to me, Kara, is since having kids, where, you know, if you and I have an issue, mm-hmm. that's okay. You know, I can deal with tension between other adults and myself. Yeah. I'm big and ugly enough to take care of myself. <laughs> that's fine. But if you do something to my Mm-hmm. If someone does something to my kids and hurts my kids, we're going to have issues. I bet. We're going to, there's going to be, and the, this is what I see happening here with God. He's saying, you know what? Every human being is my child, made in my image. Mm. And the way you treat them, the way you interact with them, matters. Mm. You can sing all the songs you want to me, but if you're hurting my children, we're going to have issues. You can yeah, give all yeah. the money in the world to me, but if you're hurting my children, we are going to have issues. You can, and you can listen
1: whatever. And that connects so perfectly to Jesus' words at the end of Matthew, I think it is, where he's saying, whatever you did for the least of these, you've done to me. And even the whole thing about, you know, judgment and how what you did for these people, you did to me, or what you didn't do to these people, you didn't do for me. Um, and I think that's really convicting in the same way.
0: Yeah. Which brings us to Thursday, because James really hones in on this whole idea. And this is in James chapter 1, um, verse 27 to 29, where he talks about what is pure religion before God. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep yourself unstained from the world. So there's there's those two realities Mm -hmm. that... That holiness and that m- caring about your your interaction and engagement with things that are damaging for your relationship with God, yeah. But looking after and caring for people in the world, mm. true and pure religion holds those two things together, yeah, and doesn't separate them. And which comes back to right, what we said in the beginning: our relationship with God, our love for God, and our love for others goes.
1: It's that thing of being in the world and not of it, um, which I think is a challenging line to walk down, but still something we are called to. We're not called to be so separate and so tucked away from the world that mm-hmm. we we don't reach them. We don't we don't offer any kind of relationship or healing.
0: That we're untouched by them.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But yet, let us be touched and moved by the world. Mm-hmm but not necessarily engage in everything that it does. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so I've absolutely loved this lesson, Cara. I've loved seeing the, the God of the New Testament in Jesus lived out in these words in the Old Testament and this call for us to care for the stranger in our gates, mm-hmm. to look out for. If we get actually people that live out the law of God, that live out the law of love, then it matters how we look after, care for the people around us. It matters how we look after and care for the people in our world. And so it begs the question again, which you asked us earlier, who is the stranger among us? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me, like as we're wrapping up, it reminds me of a quote that I saw somewhere one day and it really stuck with me, which is this idea of if you hate anybody because of your faith, you're doing it wrong. Uh, and I believe Jesus was the best person to kind of call that out Mm. you know if you you know you show that you are my disciples by how you love each other
0: so may we all do it right yeah may we all do this relationship with God right which means we righteously look after or justly care for Mm. the stranger. Love it. Thank you, Kara. Appreciate the time together. And I hope you have enjoyed our conversation about the lesson. Blessings as you share it with others over the weekend. God bless and see you some other time.